Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petrucci. And And this this is is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Renee White, the co-founder of Fill Your Cup, a postpartum doula service here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Now, many of you will hopefully have heard the beautiful Dr. Stephanie Perotta in episode 11, where we spoke about PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I thought that it would be an absolute tragedy had we not got Steph back on the podcast to talk about another topic, which we briefly touched on, endometriosis. So for all those playing at home, Dr. Stephanie Perotta is a registered dietitian, nutritionist and research academic specializing in evidence-based nutrition for improved fertility, PCOS and endometriosis. She is an accredited practicing dietitian with a degree in food science and nutrition with honors and a master's in dietetics. Steph is really, really passionate about promoting healthy eating and exercise behaviors across all individuals for optimal health and well-being. But it is her experience working in private practice and research, which provides her with just this beautiful, holistic outlook for all of her patients. And this really comes through in the discussions that we have with Steph. I hope you could feel that in um, the previous episode, in episode 11. And again, Steph is just an absolute pleasure to speak with because she specializes in nutrition. She has, you know, this other arm where she's constantly looking at the whole picture when it comes to women's health and we talk about that quite heavily around mental health and how that impacts things like PCOS and endometriosis and and how an action plan for women with symptoms and a diagnosis of endometriosis it's really important to acknowledge that mental health does play a role in the management plan of these syndromes so like PCOS and you'll hear how Steph talks about how difficult it is to diagnose a syndrome like endometriosis and we go into detail around what it is how that diagnosis can come about and also recommendations she makes for her patients both nutrition and lifestyle changes and as usual in this podcast there are plenty of laughs along the way um, especially at the end with Steph and I who in between each of these two podcast interviews we both discovered that each of us actually had Maltese origin. So we are both originating from Malta. And in fact, we share some of our favorite Maltese food. And we also delve into the highly controversial topic of activated nuts. What are they? And do they actually have any benefit? So please stay tuned for this beautiful interview with Steph Here is Dr. Stephanie Perotta. Hello, welcome back, Steph. Welcome to the podcast for what we always knew was going to be a part two. How are you? (laughs) Thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Nice to be here. Yeah. Now, we promised the listeners that we were going to back up our polycystic ovarian syndrome, our PCOS episode, with um, an episode on endometriosis, which is kind of a 
something a bit dear to my heart. My a couple of women in my family have suffered from this for many, 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 many years. And I know they're not alone with that. So I thought I would love to get you on the podcast and have a chat about this. During my research, I I mean, I found some stuff which I was not surprised with, but some of the statistics around how long it takes to diagnose endometriosis, which some research papers were saying anywhere between 7 and 12 12 years, years. which is insanity. It sounds like it's a similar vein to kind of, you know, what we were talking about previously with PCOS. Did you want to take us through what is endometriosis and I guess how are they attempting to diagnose and what seems to be this lag in the true diagnostic time. Mm, yeah. So the actual question of what endometriosis is, in simple sense, it's endometrial-like tissue that grows outside of the uterus or the uteral cavity. So that can be like, for example, the fallopian tubes or the ovaries or on the bowel, which is the most, you know, common common around that area. But it has also been found in the brain, the lungs. And yeah, just in, in the upper upper part of the body as well. It's much more rare, but it has been found. Now, why it happens, we don't really know. We the most kind of common and agreed upon reason maybe could could be because of retrograde menstruation. So the blood going back up to the fallopian tube, and then that blood um, kind of seeps seeps through and in plants, and it's quite nutrient rich blood so it basically starts growing and and continues to grow and does the same thing as what the endometrium tissue does mm-hmm. so it'll shed and release hormones and things like this so the the where the blood has or the metrium like tissue has planted mm-hmm. it does it does the same thing and that's what causes kind of pelvic pain and discomfort and bloating it also leads to symptoms more so like pain when having sex or pain when going to the toilet and and urinating or or defecating it's also like yes severe pelvic pain but actually there's a range so with endometriosis and this probably contributes to why it takes so long to diagnose uh, or one one of the causes anyway is symptom severity does not equate to the severity of endometriosis so some women might have no pain but there might be kind of yeah everywhere or, or it might be quite spread out and there might be a lot of lesions, but some women might have no pain, uh, heaps of pain, but they only might have a, a really tiny amount of endometriosis. So that makes it really tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And then because of that, kind of like PCOS, there's many different symptoms that a woman can experience and there's not no kind of like one profile that can be presented at the GP and so that makes it tricky as well in terms of actually diagnosing it there's the actual well the first thing is to have a bipolar ultrasound but because the unless it's kind of you know really kind of large lump that's grown or been there for a while or the person who's taking the ultrasound or looking at the ultrasound is actually trained which mm-hmm. doesn't always occur mm-hmm. it can be very easy to miss the endometriosis so you really need those trained eyes that's the first thing but if it's like tiny little you know endometrium like tissue that's implanted and it's really 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 small you're not going to find it on an ultrasound so then the the kind of the gold standard is to have a laparoscopy so where they have you know little incision and they go in with this with the scope and that needs some recovery time it's also obviously it's it's not as invasive as as other surgeries, but it is you know you're still cutting something. Mm. So that was kind of recommended before, and and well, it still is. And then the the woman they ask for permission if they find any endometrium like tissue that they they remove it. They need the permission before before going under. But now they're finding that look because of the some some women actually find that they the recovery time is really long and sometimes for whatever reason the surgery may have caused other symptoms or pain that may be just as the same or maybe even worse than the endometriosis that may be just by diagnosing symptoms and what the woman is saying in terms of how long she's experienced 
the pain and also obviously excluding other things like fibroids or, or you know, and hopefully no no cancer and all this stuff and mm-hmm. um, many other things is excluded that, yeah, they just say, okay, with probably endometriosis and then go from there. Also, another main reason what they think might contribute to endometriosis developing is about 50% more from genetic factors tends to if you if you have it in the family you're much more likely to get it yourself as a woman it is based predominantly in women unless obviously there is a man with more estrogen there has a couple of case studies that have been reported but it's predominantly a female based condition because it is very much estrogen dominant Mm -hmm. and so with endometriosis the estrogen needs to be there but that's also why it is commonly diagnosed around the age of 30 to 35 in women it used to be earlier about 27 but now we're finding it a little bit later because women yeah they're trying to fall pregnant or or in their reproductive age and there are the um, infertility issues sometimes that come up or more common that come to come up and so through investigation and that's when they find the endometriosis and so it's around that 30 to 35 year mark but in Australia anyway that women tend to get diagnosed and as you were saying, Renee, it does take about seven to 12 years for a woman to be diagnosed. There are, as I said that as well, there are kind of infertility could be a, a, something that comes with endometriosis, but it doesn't mean that you can't have children. It just takes longer. And as because it's part two, I'm going to um, kind of bring in PCOS here. But with PCOS, again, infertility may be there, it's, but it's less common compared to endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And with PCOS, you are more likely to have the same number of symptoms as children without women PCOS, but it just takes longer. With endometriosis, women can still have the same number of children, but they probably need more reproductive aid, treatments and things like this. And the infertile rate would be is higher. And that could be, yeah, because of pelvic pain or the it is a chronic inflammatory disease because of that high estrogen and there's the prostaglandins that are happening all these that's causing the pelvic pain and so because of that not only could the the cavity actually be kind of distorted so you know in terms of anatomy it's not kind of it doesn't work out but also the implantation doesn't occur because yeah there's just a lot of oxidation happening and so actual implanting into the uterus Oh, sorry, and endometrial lining can't. It maybe it may occur, but it you know the higher rates of miscarriage, for example, are very common. And yeah, so um, endometriosis in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what's the what's the I guess the percentage of women that it affects oh, annually? Yeah, about ten percent. Actually, about eleven point four percent of women of reproductive age. Yeah. In Australia. Okay. So it's actually pretty high. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah. going back to when you were first discussing around the ultrasound, when you were saying, you know, it takes someone who has a, a specialisation in actually identifying it. It sounds very similar to what we were discussing in the PCOS episode mm-hmm. where you were saying from your research that women require more than just a GP to diagnose, mm, you know, they they need that specialist team yes. around you. And absolutely. it made me think of back prior to me conceiving my daughter, I worked in a building where there was a x-ray and ultrasound kind of facility at the bottom of like the ground floor Mm -hmm. and I remember my obstetrician was like okay so we're gonna have to book you in for an ultrasound and I was like oh that's fine there's one at the bottom of my building and she was like oh what's it called I honestly can't remember what it was called it was like an (laughs) acronym you know FMIG or something like that she was like no that's not that's not for pregnancy ultrasound and I was like so perplexed (laughs) I was like what do you mean isn't it all the same and she's like no it's not all the same they have to have like specialist training Mm -hmm. in in this and I think you know some people don't realize that Mm -hmm. so you know if you're out there and you need a diagnosis for a particular mm-hmm. disorder then make sure you do your homework and yeah. find out that they're actually trained in yeah. that specific area yeah. basically just ask your GP, ask your gp if they know anyone in particular yeah. and they in in regards to your state or wherever you're living there will be specialists who are more targeted towards endometriosis and they know whatever treatment they're providing Mm -hmm. you know they are more aware of what endometriosis needs so do always ask you know especially for gynecologists as well 
that's kind of the, the first protocol after the GP generally. Obviously, seeing a dietitian is very important because we do know that diet does have a large impact on, on endometriosis. Lifestyle is huge. Lifestyle management with um, reducing, doesn't cure endometriosis, but it definitely has a large impact on the symptoms and the severity of, of an improving quality of life for a woman. And if trying to conceive, again, really important to not just wait and to change behaviour and nutrition exercise all these things mental health just when you are trying to conceive around that time but at least three months prior and obviously the partner needs to do some work as well but yeah just yes as as you said Renee it's a good to get some a specialist team around you Mm. and just on that point so what are the types of things if someone was to come into your clinic um, and they've been diagnosed with endometriosis they want Mm. some I guess assistance with nutrition and lifestyle maybe behavioural changes, what are the types of things that is recommended? Yeah, so in my clinic, I always ask what their background is, how long they've been having the symptoms for, how do they get diagnosed, you know, what's the journey to that point, mm-hmm. whether I get notes from the GP or not. It's always good to, to get a bit of an understanding from a woman's perspective mm-hmm. and then understand, yeah, what she's been experiencing, where she is in her journey in terms of life. What does she want going forward? Does she want any children? Does she just, does she want to get, you know, improve her mental health? Does she want to improve her diet? What, like, what's the goal there? Mm-hmm. And we start off with actually understanding what endometriosis is. And obviously as a dietitian, I'm then going to look at more so the, I look at any medications because that's important too, but more so the diet and seeing how medications can obviously impact diet and mood, mental health and all those, but more so than starting to educate and going through what to eat to help reduce symptoms. And they could be, as I said prior, yeah, pel- pelvic pain. So we look at how ways to reduce pelvic pain through through the diet. You can't really, for some women, the pain has gone away, mm-hmm. and for but for majority of women, the pain is severely reduced. One of the main triggers for pelvic pain is alcohol. So depending on whether that is even one glass, for example, some women really find it's a huge trigger. It doesn't oh, wow. doesn't matter where in the in the in the cycle they are, or but particularly just before menstruating, it's it gets really. Is there a yeah. reason? Do you know why that would be? Yeah. So even though it's got it's like an antioxidant, especially if it's red wines, antioxidants, and all these things, the alcohol in itself promotes more inflammation. Gotcha. Yeah. So the prostaglandin concentration is higher because prostaglandins are like a lipid or a fat that promote inflammation. So we're trying to reduce them. But it's also an irritant as well. And yes, yeah, so it's it's actually not great. And it causes there's also fermentation that happens with the sugars in the alcohol, so that can cause kind of bloating. And we know that bloating in itself and IBS symptoms are very common in women with, with endometriosis. So kind of looking at that and trying to reduce IBS in itself can really help a lot with mm-hmm. endometriosis and pelvic pain. Obviously not every not all women have that, but there is what's called the endo belly you know, so like looking quite large or even some women think, some women get misrepresented as being maybe pregnant or because the belly can be quite distended. So we're trying to reduce that and, and the pain that comes around that. And obviously you can you can imagine if some if a woman's trying to fall pregnant and she's been pregnant for a while and she has this endo belly and then, yeah, some, some, some women or people around her think she's pregnant so that it can cause a bit of, you know, a bit, a bit upsetting, obviously. Yeah. So that that also needs to be considered. So in in overall, we um obviously would look at the woman's diet and then see step by step what's realistic to to their goals and their lifestyle and where they're at and how many how much change they can make in um across you know one step or a few steps. Uh, ideally, that's kind of where we go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a woman is with a gynecologist and others not. It just comes straight from a GP. So you know, recommending and making sure that there is that team around is is really important. And coupling obviously again it's not my um expertise but making sure that there is movement and activity there whether the woman goes to see an exercise physiologist so making sure that the movement is adequate for her and what she needs and what her body can do at that at that point in time or she's just kind of getting around maybe going to pilates seeing a physio whatever whatever is, is required is quite important too so yeah that's generally how we go yeah it's nice to also get blood tests and blood tests that include maybe vitamin d is really important omega-3s zinc making sure that there's any thyroid issues sometimes 
interestingly, and we don't really know why this is, and it also is coupled the same with PCOS, that autoimmune conditions can come up a lot yep. with endometriosis. So sometimes thyroid can can be there as well, thyroid issues. So make sure that the thyroid is properly, you know, looked at and, and needed medicated from the medical side and then the, the, looking at what the diet is with certain autoimmune as well, having reduced or um, eliminating dairy or gluten or soy can sometimes be good. Depending though on the woman, there's no kind of actual guideline. It's just how they feel. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, anyway, whether there is, there is autoimmune or not, women, <laughs> if you Google, you know, you'll find yeah, go gluten-free or go, go soy-free or go dairy-free. And some women find that that's okay for them. Mm-hmm. But many a time I see women who have Googled, which is obviously fine, but then they've tried all these things and they're just kind of like confused and nothing's working anymore and they don't know what's going on. And so we go through and, yeah, um, step-by-step in terms of what they need. Gluten sometimes, to be honest, minimally, it actually is required to be actually completely eliminated. Going back to how I was saying there was bloating and an IBS can happen. Mm-hmm. Gluten is the protein and there's also always this carbohydrate called fructan or the sugar that couples with gluten. And normally just removing that fructan is what's causing some, or contributing to the in the uh, bloating and the fermentation that's causing the bloating in the stomach. Okay. And so reducing that is actually what's best. So it's not actually the gluten. But, you know, if there's autoimmune, especially if it's in the family or the celiac disease or there are thyroid issues or any other immune conditions, uh, irritable bowel disease or something, actually reducing that or eliminating that is actually quite good. So normally it's good to get like a month at least of everything else being stable but removing gluten, for example, out of the diet and making sure that, okay, how are you feeling? Is there no change? Is there change? Um, but if there is any change, we know that that's actually what is contributing, not one of other five changes that are happening at the same time. Yeah, and another big thing is soy because it is endometriosis is estrogen dependent, yeah, or estrogen dominant, I should say. Yeah, soy obviously has phytoestrogens in them, which have very much a similar kind of chemical composition as the hormone estrogen. And we did think prior, we don't have that much evidence now, but we have a little bit more than we used to. And we used to think that having soy was actually not great. But now we know that having soy in moderate amounts or even small amounts is actually okay. If anything, sometimes it can be helpful. And, yeah, it shouldn't be something that's kind of eliminated out of the diet. Obviously, we don't want bucket loads. We don't want to have soy milk and tofu and soybean and just soy coming out of our ears. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that tasty anyway. Well, I don't find (laughs) – like I'm happy to eat a tofu stir fry every so often, but like, oh, and no, like (laughs) – I don't even drink coffee, but I know, for example, my husband who d- is not really keen on full cream milk, he will definitely choose a nut milk over a soy oh, milk yeah. any day of the week and twice on Sundays. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even game enough to try it. Um, but look, if soy is for you, whoever's listening, keep doing your thing. Like. <laughs> The good thing about soy is that it's the it's the closest to cow's milk in terms of nutrient quality. Is it really? So it is, it's the highest in protein. Yeah. Uh, what so. about I've I can I keep seeing people who are fascinated with oat milk. Yeah, yeah, that would probably be if, if there was like a little tier, it'd probably be soy milk, almond milk, oat, and then rice. But okay. obviously, it depends on a person's needs, their taste, yeah, they can tolerate whatnot. But, you know, nutrient profile, yeah, a soy and then almond, just making sure that it's supplemented. So, What does that yeah, mean? Want, basically that it has at least calcium added to the point where it's the same amount as dairy, so 120 milligrams per 100 mils of calcium. Generally others now have also there's vitamin D, vitamin A, iron, yeah, there's potassium sometimes added. So, yeah just making sure that there's other nutrients in there. It's not just kind of literally the juice of the almond Yeah. because there's only like three almonds per glass of almond juice. What? (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah, generally speaking. (laughs) I would feel very jibbed because that is seriously expensive stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so wow. you want to make sure that it's nutrient dense. Yeah. So just a bit of like FYI, if you're going for anything organic, including organic milk alternatives, they won't be supplemented because that's organic. So they can't add anything to it. Yeah. Um, so you'd need a non-organic one. 
Oh, there you go, everyone. If there is one thing you, that you have learnt from this podcast, it is that. <laughs> that is fascinating. Three yeah. almonds per That's cup. Yeah. Yeah. That has yeah. just blown my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we've kind of looked at different things in diet and lifestyle and I'm assuming that's probably um, almost like baseline, you know, it kind of doesn't really matter where you are in your journey as a woman. Are there particular, I hate to use the word treatment, but, you know, action plans that a woman could Mm. implement if she wanted to increase her chances of pregnancy? having endometriosis because I I know from um, personal experience with women in my family and you know friends and things like that their practitioners have recommended that it's almost like we used to term it like a tune-up so and like I know people who've got endo pretty bad and they were having to go annually for the laparoscopy and Mm. the essential clean out of all that endo tissue and so their practitioners were essentially like okay we're going to time that at the same time that you would kind of be ovulating maybe Mm -hmm. two weeks or three weeks afterwards because there is downtime with those surgeries and so essentially that kind of clear out of um, the inflammatory tissue was almost like a priming for their body and they're like okay this you're in you're in that tune you're being tuned up like you know essentially like a car but you've had that tune up you should be like your body should be humming and like just running as amazing as possible that's I guess you know a very invasive way to Mm -hmm. to do that what are some of your recommendations that women could implement to increase their chances of of conceiving So just like if you weren't wanting to conceive, it's the main point is trying to reduce inflammation. We want to really try and get all those radicals out and promote a very anti-inflammatory kind of way of eating. Mm-hmm. As I said prior, and if you are wanting to conceive, it's something that you need to try and do as early as possible, right? Mm-hmm. We want to really get that endometrium lining kind of nutrient-rich, and fertile friendly for implantation to occur so having what more so like a mediterranean diet to be honest a way of eating is is the best for endometriosis now what that means for every individual sometimes needs to be tweaked depending on on on, on their background but general principles are omega-3s vitamin d zinc adequate iron so having kind of three servings of fish a week would be great. And that's normally about 120 grams. So that three times a week is, is best. If you are vegan or vegetarian, it is recommended to get supplements. And we do know from supplementation, um, yeah, it's not as effective as having it through food, particularly through salmon, mackerel or herring mm-hmm. from a, you know, as, as that's quite dense or even sardines are quite good but yeah it's better than nothing basically so starting that as early as possible having yeah making sure that there's adequate vitamin d levels so if you need to be supplemented through that vitamin d is more so the sunshine vitamin so you're not going to there are some foods that have it for example there's some cereals that have it but it's it's mostly supplemented so cereals and some milks some juices and in some eggs and it's naturally found in egg anyway but Mm -hmm. it's pretty small it's mostly the sunshine vitamin you're getting gonna get from the sunshine is it sorry to interrupt but I've always wondered this because I do see milk where it's like calcium and added vitamin D and and is it similar to the omega-3 kind of argument where it's like it's fine, but it's not as good. Like, yeah, totally. like mm. is there, you know, is it 10 times better to get it from the sun versus a supplement? And or, and this is something else that I guess we learned in biochemistry, mm-hmm. there are certain micronutrients that are paired together. Like exactly. iron needs to be eaten with vitamin C. So yeah eat carrots in the same mouthful as your meat. Um, you know, vitamin D needs to be paired mm-hmm. with calcium, things like that. And I, th- I think sometimes people may miss that and think, oh, I've popped a vo- multivitamin, I'm fine, I'm good to go. But it's not, it's not exactly the same, is it? 
It's not the same. It should. It should. Ne- vitamins and supplements should never substitute a healthy, balanced diet. There's full stop exclamation mark. <laughs> I'm like podcast is over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all other you know ads for supplements will always end in that it shouldn't substitute another you know healthy diet. But it's always like the last kind of thing that's said. Yeah, it's kind of like in yeah. What they, they can guarantee one. is electric yellow wee at the end of the day. Yeah, really expensive wee. Yes. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we're not saying that supplementation is, is is bad. Like it is good. Yeah. But if you you know, there's you're going to get a lot more out of eating well, eliminating alcohol, eliminating smoking. That's a huge one from endometriosis and fertility. Okay. Alcohol is a huge one as well. But actually, frankly enough. We were doing some research and we found that women of reproductive age who are wanting to conceive, actually, that's when they kind of have the most alcohol or they have alcohol because either it's going to help them get in the mood, you know, yeah, or it's like, they're like, oh, well, once I fall pregnant, I won't be able to. So I'm just going to go. This is my last hurrah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a few of those last hurrah yeah. dinners. I can show you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so um, they're kind of main ones, but yeah, in, in terms of supplementation, in you know, for your for answering your question, today, it is always better to have food in terms of how much better it is. It really depends on the individual and their lining and their stomach and how how good they are at absorbing. But generally speaking, food there's nothing that manipulates what the matrix that's in food, you know, and this and the nutrients that come together in a, in a food, whatever the food is, we can't, um, we don't know. First of all, we don't really know. We can't replicate that in the lab or any tablet, yeah. you know, so we were made to, to eat fruit. And so that's, that's the way our body kind of takes it up the best. Vitamin D and milk probably is great because as you said, calcium and vitamin D help Vitamin D helps with calcium absorption and they work together just like iron and, and vitamin C. But, yeah, you should still take, take supplements with endometriosis, to be honest, even if it is you having a very good uh, diet, particularly if you're wanting to conceive mm-hmm. because one of the main things with endometriosis is, yes, keep Mediterranean diet. You know, you have to have what, predominantly grains and fruit and veggies, moderate in, 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 in um, meats and, and dairy and, and, you know, some oils. But we do know that we that women with endometriosis to overcome that chronic inflammation that's happening and to really make sure that it's there's no inflammation. We need more than regular vegetables per day, you know. So a woman without endometriosis would we all are recommended to have about five servings of veggies a day, but with endo we need probably about seven, seven oh. to eight. So a lot more veggies to really help overcome, yeah, that that, that um, to help overcome that oxidation in, in the in the inflammation that's happening. And particularly, they need to be. There's not just any veggies. Obviously, all veggies are good, but yeah. particularly particularly green leafy vegetables, mm-hmm. because we know that they help with hormone balance and estrogen removing the estrogen um, excess estrogen from the body and excreting that out. So at least one cup of green leafy vegetables a day is really recommended. And so how that is, how we incorporate that is is depending on the person, but they can be cooked or raw. But, you know, some examples could be baby spinach or regular or broccoli or, or silver beast or kale or Brussels sprouts or, yeah, or even cabbage. They're all kind of really good. So at least one cup a day is really important. If I could say anything from an estrogen you know, dominant kind of condition that's really important, as well as the Mm omega-3s. Yeah, vitamin D, zinc is important. Vitamin E is really important. Make sure there's enough vitamin A. But once we get into pregnancy, we don't want to make sure that we're not overdosing of vitamin A because it can be actually detrimental to to fetal growth. And, yeah, they're the main ones. They're the main, they're the the biggest kind of if I was to clump them. And then obviously getting eating well. We also know that endometriosis is fueled as well by when there is insulin resistance. So again, kind of like PCOS, but because it's all related and linked, insulin is related to hormone balance. So if there is insulin resistance or it's not as sensitive as it could be, that will also further drive estrogen going up and for the drive and feed the the endometriosis to grow so we want to make sure that yeah eating properly eating grains eating low gi foods eating um, regularly throughout the day to the point that the that the woman needs is all really important too and then obviously water is very important as well and another thing that's really important with endo is trying to reduce the chemicals in food so removing plastics canned products 
yeah any of those BPA mm-hmm. kind of yeah receipts making anything your yourself like home growing a home wipe and all that stuff trying to really eliminate all those chemicals because we do know that endo disruptors endocrine disruptors also further lead to endometriosis development and to be honest I think it impacts everyone yeah but probably this population or this this group of women are probably the most sensitive mm-hmm. yeah yeah so again can you, none of that. can you have PCOS and endo such a good thing yes you can have it and actually a lot of the time they find when they're investigating one they might find the other it's gotcha. very common yeah yeah so they don't really again they don't really know why it could be because both of them are relatively common just mm. like thyroid issues they don't really know why but because maybe endometriosis is so so common there's going to be you know just from off chance that, yeah. that there'll also be thyroid but hormone you know regulation could be there maybe because of the insulin resistance kind of there as well but they're both of reproductive age they're both chronic inflammatory conditions so they probably maybe feed on each other um yeah but it's it's common for women to have both to be honest and find and so trying to treat them at the same yeah. time yeah is There's it a lot of overlap just is it, i was gonna say because the research i saw it was kind of like almost like chicken and the egg they were like does the inflammation cause endometriosis okay. or is it the inflammation that's causing endometriosis yeah, yeah so and i guess if someone was diagnosed with PCOS and endo is it similar treatment because I guess you know as you said they're both Um, inflammatory so the flip side of that coin is if you're diagnosed with both is one treatment going to I guess counteract the other or is is it like very specialized you need to be careful Mm. what your action plan is in terms of dietary management there are um, specific, like the, some of the things that I just spoke about kind of overlap between both. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, it really depends on where the woman is at. You yeah. know, what is what is she experiencing in that time? What's really impacting her the most? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the first stage. So someone, so a woman might have, yeah, okay, she, she went to go get PCOS investigated, but actually she found out that she had endometriosis, didn't even know, has yeah. no pelvic pain but she just found that she has um, PCOS more so because of hair or there's weight gain and that was what was causing her most, you know, grief at that point in time is she wanted to really focus on that. So that's what we would focus on. Obviously, with through an anti-inflammatory diet, we will, that will help with PCOS but also help a lot with endometriosis and, and helping with endo will help some, probably the PCOS as well. But what to truly focus on is really dependent on the woman and what is important to her at that time. Mm-hmm. And what's maybe yeah more more impacting her and in her daily life at that at that point. But it might change. I mean, these are these are conditions that don't go away. Yeah, they will be there forever. It's just more about managing symptoms. So you know, typically they'll go up and down across the lifespan and and, and what woman experiences. But yeah, yeah. Also, <laughs> another point. Sometimes women get hysterectomies because of endometriosis think that'll go away but unfortunately that doesn't happen so they used to think that having that will make it go away Um, but no no sir so yeah that's why it's really important to see someone who specializes it's not so as common now I I don't I I, yeah if if it has happened it's mostly in in older women older women who who who, um, may have gone through the procedure and now coming back because they have pain again That's very interesting that you say that and I'm going to put a stab in the dark here but I thought that Lena Durham, I think her name is, she was like in that TV series Girls. If you you kind of had a gun to my head, I would have said I'm pretty sure she was struggling with endo and I'm pretty sure she had a hysterectomy quite recently. Um, So... Yeah, look, I hope that helps her. But, no, I I guess that's not the silver bullet that everyone thought it was going to be. But, it, you know, on that point, and I I know based off her social media and stuff, it was an incredibly difficult time for her to be Mm -hmm. able to deal with and and I could see that she had multiple hospitalisations because of the pain and everything. Mm -hmm. And through the research that I did as well, and I don't think, honestly, I don't think you need white, 
paper research to know this, but they were touching on, even in the biochemical papers that I was reading, the fact that women with endo are more likely or more predisposed to conditions like depression and loneliness and all of that kind of stuff. So did you want to touch on that? Because I know that you provide a very holistic approach in your practice. Is that something that, I mean, it's all interrelated, right? You know, diet, hormones, physical, emotional, mental. Do you have any strategies that you use to assist with your patients? So just obviously that's why it's really important to to ask what her what a woman's journey has been to the point where I see them or or, or they see a practitioner mm-hmm. and to really understand where she's coming from and yeah even her relationships and what her goals are and things like this it comes out pretty evidently to be honest yeah. um, most of the time working with a psychologist obviously I'm not like I'm not trained in psychology so but working with a psychologist or a referral is really important sometimes but I think the, the biggest kind of first step is to understand that understanding what endometriosis is and then the changes to, that you make in terms of behavior change is a gradual approach mm-hmm. and to not be so harsh on yourself and, and you're not a failure and it's not you know, it's not your fault, you're not doing anything wrong and it's not kind of a one-step overnight change. It will take time just how coming to that point, you know, of starting the journey of, 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 of behaviour change has taken the time to get there. It will take time to change and your body will start to experience, to be honest, immediate effects as soon as you start to make those changes. But it will take time as well. And if a woman, generally sometimes women can be very hard on themselves or they're like, oh, what did I do wrong? Or, oh, I was naughty or I did this or, you know, yeah, they, or, or they tend to put others first before themselves. But really sometimes, like at this point in time, it's time to put yourself first, no matter the situation. Obviously, it's easier than done. Mm-hmm. But just just going through and having a bit of a talk about what the situation is and, and what, you know, what, what time can you even take out of the day to have, you know, can you even sit down for five minutes or can you do meditation for five minutes or what are your, what are the stress triggers for the day and how can we eliminate them or how can you go to bed an hour earlier so you can sleep a little bit better or, you know, how can you get a bit more movement or just, yeah, anything. And it can be, you know, do you need to have a conversation with your partner? about what's going on or how about you have a conversation with your partner to describe to them why it's important that they do this task for you or, mm. or for the household or whatever it is because that will, you know, reduce something off your list for the day. And so it literally could be anything, but sometimes these these things are important, that they are important to talk about because, again, uh, it is a chronic inflammatory condition, endometriosis. So stress, whether it's through the diet, whether it's way too much exercise, whether it's mental stress or physical stress, they all contribute to the endometriosis and, and, and also the pain that's being experienced. So, yeah, looking at stress triggers is 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 yeah is important and and sometimes even we we talk about kind of activities of what can you do to nourish your soul and yourself other than food so food food is a wonder of life you know it's definitely a nourish something that's nourishing more than physical nourishment emotional nourishment you know as well as very important social nourishment but what are some other activities that 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 woman a woman a person can do that will also nourish them in different ways for example literally things like going for a bath getting your hair done getting your nails done getting a 10 minute massage doing a home yeah um facial or something all these things you know putting some nice candles on or anything anything you know some music on whatever it is like it literally can be anything but just thinking about those as a way in addition to eating again just five minutes in the day could be it is just really really important also social media what accounts are you looking at you know are they serving you well are they just kind of are you just comparing yourself and Mm -hmm. you know is it you know looking into self body image and all those things as well so yeah, whatever whatever comes up. But I do ask specific questions in terms, even with this kind of touches a little bit on disordered eating, so I, or eating habits. So I sometimes, I do always ask women when they come through the clinic. There's kind of one of the few questions are to see what their eating habits are like, mm-hmm. and asking about self-esteem and body image and um, you know 
where they're at basically um, mental health wise is, is always asked but also again it's person-centered care so if the woman does not want to deal with that at the moment or it's too much yep. or you know we don't have to look at that either but I do flag that it's something to consider yeah. if, if they want to and um, it, it totally makes yeah. sense though because like as you said it's an in, it's an inflammatory disease and it's not just genetics and biochemical cells mm. and proteins that are causing this inflammation stress in itself mm-hmm. causes you know inflammation and yeah. it's it's one of the things that we talk to our mamas about in our prenatal sessions when we're doing our in-home carers postpartum doulas we've actually got a booklet and there's a section called oxytocin boosters and we get them yeah. to write down this is before the baby arrives because they're going to be too <laughs> sleep deprived <laughs> to think about it afterwards but one of the things we talk to them about is you know write down three to five things that are going to boost your oxygen. And our teacher, Julia Jones, used to used to frame it as what what gives you peace and joy? Mm-hmm. And that can look very, very different for everyone. It could be taking your shoes off, walking outside, putting your feet in the grass, having your headphones on and listening to a podcast, The Science of Motherhood. I've heard it's really good. <laughs> it could be... You know, making a hot cup of tea and sitting in the sun or having some chocolate, running a bath, exactly what you're saying, Steph. And it's different for everyone. And I just, I think, you know, as you were describing it, I'm like, yes, to everyone who has endo and PCOS, get your oxytocin boosters. But every woman out there, get Mm. your oxytocin, oxytocin booster happening and what we make our mamas do is write it down on a post-it, put it on the fridge because you need to be reminded because you will get caught up in the day-to-day BS um, of life. Yeah. And and yeah. we also say to their partners, if you recognise that she is having a rough day, you are to go to the fridge, you are to pick something off that list and you are to create space for her to do that because we need permission sometimes. Mm. I know it sounds really awful, but we do. And I say this to my husband all the time when I just am completely overwhelmed and he's like, of course you can go, just go get a massage or just go for a walk. And I'm like, I can't just go underline just go like so many things need to fall into place before Mm. I can just go and get a massage I need you to be able to create that space with me and I need you to be able to like really pull your socks up and you know get your co-parenting hat on (laughs) and like yeah get the kid get the kid organized take it to a park so I can go for a walk or whatever the case may be but yes to all the mamas out there and to be mamas and just get your oxytocin boosters Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. get your Mm post-its out Mm -hmm. and make time because Mm -hmm. if you don't look after yourself Mm -hmm. no one's going to do it for you yes and also this kind of, there's also, you know, I suppose depending on, again, the circumstance, but work and what type of work you're doing yes. and how much, you know, paid employment you are working. Sometimes that obviously, again, circumstance, but sometimes that needs to have a bit of a reality check if possible to change because, yeah, I think women as women are wonderful and we can do many things, but maybe sometimes we just need to slow down a little bit especially when there's a, a baby or in the in the mix or a whole family and going back to work and so mm. you're trying to juggle the family, trying to juggle the work and then there's, you know, endo around and there's pain and, yeah, it can it's just all sometimes needs to, priorities sometimes need to get reshuffled mm. if possible, yeah. It's definitely yeah. something I've learned over the last probably 12 months is that I wanted to have it all all the time, every second of the day. But what I have accepted now is that I can have it all, but just not all at the same yeah. time. So, you know, you've got to I, – I have to learn to compartmentalise because mm-hmm. I want to be answering people's emails, doing podcast interviews, having time with my daughter and then, like, you know, being able to spend time with my husband and, 
And then I'm like, hold on a minute. <laughs> I'm the one losing because I have no time for myself left over. Yeah. So exactly. I think in this day and age, we are, we wanted it all as women and we've got it all, but yeah. we can't have it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's my personal yeah. opinion. No, no, totally. I will. I agree with you, Renee. Yeah. It's actually really good that you said compart, compart, comparting time because yeah you could still have it all you just need to be a bit more um yeah time management yeah it is (laughs) and as women we know how to juggle about 25 different balls in the air (laughs) yeah another sorry this is like off topic again but going back I just realized I skipped a whole nutrient section is antioxidants so FYI if you're listening to this antioxidants are really also important for endometriosis what foods can we get most of our and like all the antioxidants because as soon as you say that i think blueberries like that's that's just what i think that's been drummed into my head yeah berries yeah berries that's actually one of the foods so having trying to have berries most days carrots the green leafy vegetables again they're also um, high in antioxidants nuts are really good um pretty much just rainbow just think rainbow fruit and veg then you've got it I'm going to go there. Pete Evans, do you activate your nuts before you eat them? Look at your face. (laughs) For everyone who's just listening to this on audio, we don't ever, well, we only publish the 30 to 60 second sound bites with the video on Instagram, but (laughs) Steph's face just froze when I said Pete Evans' name. (laughs) To activate or not to activate. What does that even mean? Like what is that? Okay. So I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a a little personal experience. Okay. (laughs) So for all those playing at home, before I was a postpartum doula and co-founder of Fill Your Cup and co-host extraordinaire of this podcast. (laughs) I was a patent attorney for eight years. And so I used to see a lot of very fascinating inventions that, you know, were trying to be, I guess, monopolized across the world. And one came across my desk, which because I've got a biochemical kind of background and nutrition and stuff like that, it was around activating nuts. (laughs) And I was like, this is not new. Pete Evans has been talking about this for ages. (laughs) And I wanted to say that, but I couldn't obviously. But it was, I'm just trying to like dig this memory up in my brain. Is it, uh, is it, what is it, phylate or what's the... um, Oh. I'm going to Google yes. it. Is it phylate? Hold on. Activating nuts. We're on the Google now, everyone. Google yeah, can be helpful in some instances. Uh, yeah, phylate. You're right. Phylate. And so there was something around the fact that if you activate your nuts, which for all those playing at home, essentially just means soaking your nuts in water. <laughs> Oh, some people are saying you should soak. Hold on. There's a whole method here, some people. Oh, the three methods used to activate nuts were soaking for 12 hours in water, soaking for 12 hours in salted water, or soaking for four hours in salted water. Nevertheless, people like to soak their nuts in water, and that evidently activates them. And I think that actually reduces phylate is that yeah, correct no, because some people think that phylates like phylates in the higher doses can not be great for us yeah but you know if you just cook them or the digestion process in itself kind of reduces it anyway so that's why we can eat beans legumes nuts and things like this so we don't need to activate anything our body's amazing I know. I was like, don't we just activate it ourselves through the saliva that, you know, and it's always been a perplexing topic for me because I'm like, I don't want soggy nuts. Like the reason why I have, like, 
I think nuts are fantastic. I carry them yeah, around the in Seriously. little containers in every single mum bag yeah. that I own. And if there ever is a superfood, if that's even a thing, if superfood is actually a thing, which whatever. Yeah, let's not go there. That's another episode, everyone. <laughs> but that's like, it's like, yeah, nuts would be one of them. I I love I love nuts. My daughter loves nuts. I, I think it's like a, an amazing go to food. But if if someone said to me, "Oh, you've got to soak those nuts," I'd be like, "No, <laughs> no, they're gonna go moldy in my bag if they're exactly. active activated. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry, my body can do that yeah. for me. That's, I'm fine." Yeah, the only time I soaked nuts, oh, when I saw mum. Yeah, I grew up with mum. That's probably why I became a dietitian a lot because we did a lot of home cooking and Maltese and Mediterranean and all this stuff. And Oh, that's um, the other thing of everyone playing at home. Steph and I are both Maltese yeah, and we didn't Maltese. know that until yeah. after the uh, last episode. Yeah. So you've got two like, Maltesers for this. Yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But mum was making like this album. Yeah, it's actually kind of cool. Maltese. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> but um, mum was making like this. It's called Figoli, which is like a traditional Easter sweet. And yes. And filling it anyway. Yeah, I hate it. It's disgusting. Oh, what? I don't like the no marzipan, way. Steph. It's awful. Do you love it? Yeah, I love it. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My but, my yeah. my dad got my daughter a fagoli for Easter this year, and she was like, "Oh wow!" And I was like, <laughs> "Like, <laughs> oh, maybe I had too much as a kid. I just yeah, can't." Dad, I can't. It's very sweet. Sometimes I'm not a very very sweet. Yeah. Especially yeah. with the icing on top, we don't make icing on top because I think it's too much. But we just put like a slight slither, slither of chocolate on the top. Ooh. But for anyone like, just think it's like pastry with almond filling and some. Yeah, other kind of other sweeteners with like just in like a flower or a fish. Fish, yeah. My daughter got the fish this this year. (laughs) And she thought she was just like, I think she was a little bit confused. She was because, you know, Easter here in Australia is like bunnies, bunnies, bunnies. She's like, Mum, why did they give me a fish? fish. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, sweetheart, it's your heritage. Just, you know, just deal with that already. Actually, I'm going to ask you while you're here, what's your favourite Maltese food? Oh, this is a hard one. Gosh. I like imarron, which is basically um, macaroni, like baked macaroni dish. This is my favourite too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like. It's like lovely. carbs on carbs, it's I like find. It's carbs on carbs with cheese and then yeah. some red meat. Yeah. yeah, it's so yeah. good. Does your so um? Do you come from like the family where my dad makes like the best? We just call it macaronis because you oh, know. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. people, then people, in, like <laughs> then people know what we're talking about. But um, it's a, well, it's essentially like I'm gonna like really boganize this. <laughs> But it's essentially the big fat macaroni noodles for all those playing at home with like. It's like a bolognese sauce. Yeah. This is yeah. how we have it, a bolognese sauce. Yeah. But then my dad mixes like eggs and a ton of like cheese through it, yeah. Yeah. puts yeah. it in yeah. a big giant yeah. baking dish. Like, and I yeah. think yeah. traditionally they used to um, – do you put pastry on top of yours? So traditionally that would be like what's called timpana. Yes. You don't put that on. Yeah. Yeah. But the no. pastry goes on top. That's, yeah, that is that's the double carb. That's like yeah. full on. That's yeah. more like, to be honest, though, that's, it is very traditional, but that's what you get in if you go like the street food with pastizzi and the pizza. Oh, my God, I love pastizzi. I love pastizzi. And I think, uh, do, you, do you eat them with sugar? No. Oh, that's okay. That's just a weird thing that my family does. Yeah. So the spinach and ricotta, I remember the first time I went to um, my nonna's house and she was like, you know, as an Aussie kid, I'm looking for the tomato sauce. And she's like, she's like the sugar. And I was like, no, I'm not like, no, no, you can't have it with sugar. And everyone was dipping their pastizzis in sugar. Ooh. And I was like, oh, wow, this has brought it to a whole new level. And, like, <laughs> I'm talking, it's like, nice. white, refined sugar. <laughs> and as a as a five-year-old, I was just like, oh, my God, this is heaven. I'm literally <laughs> eating sugar-dipped pastry. This is amazing. Yes. 
for any woman with endometriosis, don't do that. No, don't that, do that. That won't, that won't help there. There are plenty of other beautiful yeah. <laughs> Maltese dishes out there that you could absolutely yeah, inhale yeah, in, in an instant. With that, though, Steph, that, that is kind of my last question. I think, you know, we've wrapped up with Pete Evans activated nuts and a little bit of a walk down heritage lane with our Maltese backgrounds. Yes, I think that's a a great way to end it. Absolutely loving it. Thank you so much for um, entertaining us today and educating us as well, Steph. You have been a wealth of knowledge. I absolutely love chatting with you. It's always a good time. But for all those playing at home, where can we find you if there's some women out there who need some help with PCOS or endo? Yeah, so I am the founder and dietitian of Womanly Nutrition and Dietetics. So I have an online clinic. Hopefully in the future I can start in in person, but at the moment it's it's online so I can reach all women um, anywhere at www.womanlynd.com. Also, my email is stephanie at womanlynd.com and that's when you can, where you can find me. Awesome. We will have all of that in the show notes, which will be on our website, ifillyourcup.com forward slash podcast. You will find Stephanie's beautiful Maltese face there smiling back at you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Again, it will not be the last episode because <laughs> you're amazing and I love you. Perfect. That Thanks, everyone. Thank have Thanks a great everyone. day. See you. Bye. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.